0: A rather brief and extremely practical message here coming out of 1 Corinthians chapter one, we are now streamlining our way into verse three. This is the way to do the see this is the way to do the Bible you just uh, we believe in passionate, enthusiastic celebratory worship, we also believe in real sound uh, bible teaching, and that 's work sometimes you got to dig into the text we've got to chew on it and, uh, and and pick it apart so I want to read uh, Five or six verses here. And what I'm really going to be interested in doing is, is I, want to, I want us to notice uh, the pattern of Paul's approach to the Corinthians. What, what we'll be talking about has to do with the, 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 our attitude towards each other and our words towards each other. It's a very important and very practical message that we have here this morning. Paul says this in verse 3, "...grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." His first word is a prayer. He's praying for God's grace and God's peace to come on them from the Father and from the Son. Verse 4, I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. What he's saying there is this, our our preaching that Christ is real was proven by the fact that you believe. And now you're seeing it demonstrated in your life, and we thank God for that. Verse 7, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about the second coming. And here's the word of hope. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Two things I want us to see here. Look at the way Paul prays for the Corinthians, and look at the way Paul talks to the Corinthians. He prays a blessing prayer, and he speaks loving words to them. He's got a lot of issues to deal with with uh, this, this church. This is an immature church. In a lot of ways, they're wacko. We've talked a little bit about that. We'll say a lot more about it as our study goes on. There's a lot that Paul wants to criticize, to instruct, to confront, but that's not the first thing that comes out of his mouth. He's already told them that they're holy, they're blessed in Christ Jesus. They have this identity in Christ Jesus for free. And now he starts to kind of encourage them, praise them, and give them words of hope about various things that are there in his life. But the first thing out of his mouth is he praises his blessing. Peace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we sometimes use that phrase as sort of a, a cliché, like hi there. It's sort of Christianese for hello. Blessings. you know, And it doesn't really mean anything other than hello. But see, when it was first used, um, it was a prayer, He's not just using it as a formality. He's praying, grace be on you. Grace, 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 and blessings, blessings, and peace, 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 from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this was the way the early Christians always greeted one another. They, they'd start by praying for one another. Just, you know, blessings to you. Blessings from, from, from God upon your life. In fact, this was their attitude towards everyone. The teaching goes back to Jesus Christ. We don't have time to turn there, but if you were to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 57, you find this episode. The disciples are with Jesus and they're just getting the ministry kind of you know going and things are going kind of hot and they're having a lot of successes. They come to this one village that doesn't like them though. They reject them. They say get out of here. So the disciples say, Lord, um, well, should we call down fire from heaven and incinerate them? Um, They were ticked off. How dare these people reject us? Let's show them the power of God right now. And so they say, Lord, come on, come on. We want to see a little, let's see a little little mini Sodom and Gomorrah here, you know. Um, and Jesus rebukes them. This is right after Jesus was just talking about kingdom principles. Uh, earlier in chapter 9, about how the greatest shall be the least, the least shall be the greatest, and all that kind of stuff. And they're going along, and as soon as they suffer a little bit of rejection, they want to call down the fire of God. And so Jesus says, no, you're getting it wrong. Jesus then gives them this teaching. He says in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 5, wherever you go, whatever house you enter into, whatever city you enter into, you pray blessings on that house. Blessings. That's not just a little nice greeting. Hi there, fella. No. This is a prayer. Lord, pour out your blessings on this house before you know anything about them. Whether they seem nice to you or whether they seem mean to you, whether it looks like they're going to accept you or whether it looks like they're going to reject you, your job as kingdom people is to pray blessings on them. This is our attitude towards life. The application is this. As kingdom people, we have to understand this. We have, and this is what Paul is doing to the Corinthians, this pray praise, praise blessing. First thing out of his mouth, Lord bless this congregation. Inside he's thinking they're a little bit wacko, they're a little bit strange, they've got some tough, tough stuff, but Lord bless them. And he says that to them. Blessing from God on you. We need to understand this. As kingdom people, we have a kingdom authority that non-believers don't have. Non-believers only have one way of influencing things in the world, and that is by physical means. They influence their physical environment by their physical means. We also do that, but we have another means available to us. As kingdom people, we have an authority to affect things in the physical realm by influencing things in the spiritual realm. That's why Jesus says that we are to pray this way. Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our fundamental orientation in life is to pray, to have this mindset as a, as a habitual mindset, and to pray this habitual pray and to live in, in, in a habitual lifestyle such that The Father's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the Father's will in heaven is this. First and foremost, He wants to bless every person He ever created. He wouldn't have created them if He he didn't want to bless them. He loves them. He wants to redeem them. He also has a will to judge sin and to punish sin and whatnot. But that's not His first will. His first will is that He would never have to do that. He wants to bless. He wants to prosper. He wants to show forth love. Our primary authority as kingdom people is prayer. So you put the two together and it comes out to be just what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, that we are to pray, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever we go, whoever we meet, whatever situation we come to, our attitude should be, Father, and our prayer should be, Father, bless them. Bless them. Our friends we bless. Our family we bless. Our kids we bless. Our neighbors we bless. The strangers we meet we are to bless. We are to be walking, talking, blessing machines. Using our kingdom authority to just bless those around us. Father, bless that person right there. It really is. It does three things. Here's the three benefits it does. Number one, it's, this is what furthers the kingdom of God. When you bless somebody, you are using your kingdom authority that God's given you as his child, as his co-heir of the kingdom. He's given you this authority to unlock the vault of heaven to wherever you pray this blessing. There's now going to be a blessing on that person. And to that degree, the dome in which God is king has been set up a little further. That is the kingdom of God. You just pray the domain of God's kingship in that person's life, and in that person's life, and in that person's life. The kingdom of God goes forward by the secret prayers of kingdom people to have the Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We sometimes think that the kingdom of God goes forward on great revivals and or when 29 people get saved on a weekend, or or when you have a great crusade, or when you just miraculously acquire a 175-foot, you know, 1,000-square-foot building, you think that's what builds the kingdom of God. And those things do build the kingdom of God, and those are good and wonderful things, and we need those things, but you've got to know this. Jesus said the, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's a little thing. It's inconspicuous. And the way that it primarily goes forward, thank God for the big things, but the main way it goes forward is by the secret things, the, the unnoticed things, the under-the-ground sorts of things. It is the prayers of kingdom peoples at all times and all places for all people. Just a little prayer of blessing. Uh, that furthers the kingdom of God. You are doing kingdom work. Uh, when, when I pray for people this way, they don't know I'm praying. I'm just like you know saying, oh, Lord, bless that person. You see a person. Just say, Oh, Lord, bless that person. Uh, be, be, be praying it in your mind. Lord, just just enrich them. Sometimes God will give you a, a word of knowledge, all of a sudden you feel led to pray for their kids or, or you pray for their marriage. Their marriage maybe is struggling or, or whatever. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you on this. And as you do that, what I like to see is, is this. This is just my way of thinking about it. You can find your own way of thinking about it, or you can borrow mine. I don't care. I don't have a copyright. But here's what it looks like. After I pray for somebody. I'm praying for Kevin right now. Oh, Lord, just bless Kevin. Prosper him. Let your love and your grace and your peace be on him and his family. And, and as I'm doing that, I picture in my, in my spirit a, a, a kind of a, a spotlight on him. You know? Um, and it's just kind of—it's a, it's a way for me to conceptualize that this is really doing good. This isn't a formality. This isn't a religious perfunctory kind of a thing. This is really doing kingdom work. And so I'm just praying, God, you know, just just pour your blessing there. Oh God, bless that person. And now there's a, a spotlight on them, and a spotlight over here, and a spotlight over there. Um, but what you got to know, however you think about it in your mind, is that it's doing good. It's furthering the kingdom of God. Okay, and that's our primary task as as kingdom people. Our job in life. Is to further the kingdom of God. That's our primary mission. And you may think that you don't have a lot of gifts and that you don't have a whole lot to offer the church and you don't have the gift of evangelism or whatnot. Fine, wonderful and good. You're wrong about that, but that, I don't care right now. What you've got to know is that everybody can and everybody must do this. This is a way that you can further the kingdom of God wherever you go, uh, in all situations. Uh, you would be praying blessing on the people around you. Bless, 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 bless. Further the kingdom of God. Secondly, this improves the situ- whatever situation you're in. When you're in a situation and you pray God's blessing, you've just introduced God's peace into that situation. And especially if the situation is volatile or it's, 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 there's some conflict, uh, I, I challenge you to try this. Just start praying for the people that are attacking you uh, or that are arguing and see if it doesn't improve the situation. Now, sometimes you can't see it and sometimes you can't. And this isn't a cure-all panacea sort of thing. In a world with a lot of free wills, nothing's gonna be a guarantee that everything's gonna work out just wonderful. But I can tell you this, on the authority of God's Word, it always brings the blessing of God. God hears the prayer, God answers the prayer. So however bad the situation is, it would have been worse if you weren't praying this blessing prayer. And sometimes you can really see the difference that it makes. Someone's coming at you. They got some strong words or whatever. Your natural inclination is to do what the disciples did. It's to get defensive. It's to protect yourself. It's to get angry. It's to get nasty. Maybe even to call down judgment on them. You know, oh Lord, will you just incinerate this person? You know, that's your natural inclination. But that's a carnal natural inclination. I encourage you to listen to the Word of God and start praying blessing. Jesus said bless your enemies, didn't He? Bless those that persecute you. All all people at all times, whether they like you or don't like you, whether they're treating you nice or treating you mean, your job in life is to bless them. Bless your enemies. So start blessing them on the inside. Just praying. Lord, bless them. Lord, God, pour out your love on them. Prosper them in every possible way. And see if that doesn't. Improve the situation. Husbands, wives, kids, I encourage you to apply this to your home. Especially when there's conflict there. Just start praying blessings. Uh, parents, this works wonders on your kids. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, testimony here. You get more homework done this way. You get, you know, I'm not trying to give you a gimmick like, hey, this is a great gimmick here. How to manipulate your kids for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But it does further the kingdom. It, cha- it changes the situation. You further the kingdom, it changes the situation. And the third thing it does, when we follow Paul's example and, and we, our, our attitude, our default setting is on blessing, you will find that it changes you in some rather profound ways. I don't know if you notice this about yourself or not, but I'm sure of this, that you have a lot of judgments in your mind. A lot of conclusions, a lot of assumptions about a lot of people. Uh, it's part of the fall. We, we do this, uh, especially if someone is criticizing us or inconveniencing us or taking away what we think are our rights. We draw conclusions. They're bad people. They're nasty people. They're ugly people. They're mean people. They're bad people. We just draw, And, and then we stereotype. Oh, that's the kind of person, you, you know, of course he'd say that. That's the kind of person who would do that. That's the kind of person that would act this way. And see, you make judgments like that, and then you start looking for it. And, of course, they're always confirmed because you're looking for it. I told you one time, uh, some time ago, about that lady who cut me off. She had this Wicca, New Age, mishmash bumper sticker. Remember that? And, and she looked. Look at that. She looked like a witch. You know, she's got the hairstyle. She's just You know, and, and so I'm driving along and I, I'm looking this, and and I didn't see the, the thing is is that I kind of I kind of usually you know feel good about myself as to be, I'm, that I'm not a judgmental person. I think that I'm not a judgmental person. And since I've started praying this kind of a prayer for the last year, I have just noticed how judgmental I really am. Uh, and so I didn't notice this, but I'm sitting there, sitting there making judgments in my mind. Oh, <laughs> you know, like that. And then she cuts me off. Oh man, just you know, and so it immediately in my mind, I didn't notice this, but it was happening on automatic pilot. I'm thinking, wouldn't you know it? That's just you'd expect that, now wouldn't you? You know, da da da, and I was just like, you know, and if I was really honest with you, I probably would admit that I was, in some level of my being, saying, "Oh Lord, why did you just, you know, judge her or something like that?" Like the disciples were, and then God gets a hold of me and reminds me because this is the easiest thing in the world to forget. The Holy Spirit has to constantly remind us, but says, "You know what, Greg? I, I don't recall. Did I hire you as my lawyer?" I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, can you refresh my, kind of doing a Job little tease thing here. Uh, I don't, did I put you up as sort of the judge of all these people? Is it your job description to hold all these private opinions and conclusions and assumptions about people on the basis of the way they look or on the way they drive? I don't think so. What I told you is what I told the disciples, and that is this. You got one job, he makes it very simple for us. As a kingdom person, you're to be, wherever you go, whoever you meet, whatever the situation is, to be praying, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, thy will be done in this driver as it is in heaven. And what I know is that the Father's will is to bless that lady, to love that lady, to save that lady if she's not already saved, to be working in her life. And my job is to be praying that. Oh, Lord, bless that person. Lord God, just pour out your blessings in her life. Maybe there's a lot of wounds there that I don't know about that's causing her to drive this way or whatnot. But our job isn't to have all this judgment stuff. And when you begin to pray this blessing prayer, make this as a mindset, a a, a locked in, permanent, habitual way of looking at the world, the lenses that you wear wherever you look, whoever you meet, whatever situation you're in, you'll find that it fleshes out all this negative stuff. See, when when you've got, to the extent that you've got the judgments and the opinions and the conclusions uh, there in your head, even if you're right, you're wrong. Because God doesn't hire you to do that. We know right from wrong. we got to say right from wrong. That's true. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making judgments on people. And so the extent to which we have this negativity stuff, it pollutes our life. And the extent to which we have the negativity stuff is it takes up space that's supposed to be taken up by the love of God. Our job is to incarnate the love of Jesus Christ, that radical, unconditional love of Jesus Christ in our life. And to the degree that there's this judgment, or you would think, oh, wouldn't you know, just look at that, that kind of stuff going on in our head, we're cramming out love. When you commit to praying a blessing prayer on all around you, you know, just, Lord, bless them, Lord, bless them. What it does is it it's not always easy. Because there's all this judgment stuff that goes on in your life, but now you can confront it. You say, no, that's not my job. My job is the love. Even if they're your enemies your job is to love. Even if they're persecuting you, your job is to love. Even if they're being nasty to you, your job is to love. Even if they're your in-laws, your job is to love. You see? Wherever. Lord bless them. Lord bless them. The enemy tries to sow these seeds. Let's get in touch with this now. It's in our, it's in our heads. Sows these seeds. Okay, where there's this judgment, there's jealousy, uh, and all of that, to the point where when someone succeeds, when someone's church really prospers and yours isn't, when someone's family just seems to be perfect and yours isn't, when someone gets a promotion and you don't, when someone's really getting wealthy and you're not, when someone gets a new car and you can't, there's a part of us, oftentimes, that really gets mad about that. Now, we don't admit that. I mean, we even maybe wish them ill, like, oh, I just hate people like this. You know, we would never say that out loud because we're Christians and we love everybody, right? But inside, let's look, at the, let's look at our hearts. The heart is desperately wicked. It's like, oh, why couldn't that be me? And there's a jealousy and there's a strife there. If we are to really incarnate the love of God, that has got to go. And one way, one beautiful way to make it go is just to commit yourself to blessing people whether you feel like it or not. When, 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 when they get a new car and you can't, you thank God for that. Thank God for that. Lord, bless their finances more. You're just confronting the flesh head on there. It's fleshing out envy. It's fleshing out jealousy. It's fleshing out strife. It's fleshing out self-righteousness. It's becoming more in the image of God. It furthers the kingdom. It helps the situation. And it changes you. Paul prayed that to the Corinthians. We are to pray that with one another and with the entire world. Be a walking, talking, blessing machine. This whole thing about making your house a lighthouse of prayer. That's all it is. Just commit your house to to be a blessing machine for your neighborhood. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. So Paul starts with a blessing. A blessing prayer for them. Secondly, he then speaks loving words to them. Now, Paul's got a lot of issues with them, but that's not the first thing out of his mouth. He has loving words to them. He says this, I thank God for you. Corinthians, I'm so thankful for you. I don't think he was lying. I think he really was. He affirms their growth. He affirms their faith. He says, you know, he, he looks for things to affirm them with. He's trying hard, too. He says, oh, you know what? You guys, you don't come behind in any spiritual gift. You know, you're not lacking any spiritual gift. He uses the word pneumaticoi, which is the same word he uses later on when he confronts them about their use of the spiritual gifts. These Corinthians were actually going wacko on the spiritual gifts. And they were talking in tongues and prophesying and all this other stuff without any kind of restraint. Okay, so they were going kind of, you know, nutso. But Paul doesn't start by saying, what's up with you guys? He, he sees something to affirm here. He goes, you know what? You guys are really zealous for the spiritual gifts. Now, I know inside he's thinking, I can't wait till chapter 12 uh, to confront this mess. But the first word is you find ways to affirm people. Okay, he he uh, he affirms. He speaks words of affirmation, words of encouragement, words of hope. God's going to keep you. I got great expectations for you. So these the, the, these are the words that are first out of his mouth. Now there's two biblical principles very quickly that are that are at stake that are employed here, and we've got to get these down. The first principle is a general one. The second is specific. The general principle is the tame the tongue. It is found throughout the Bible. You've got to we've got to. If we're going to be disciplined about anything in our life. You have to be disciplined about what comes out of your mouth. And Paul is illustrating here what, how, how to be disciplined with your tongue or, in this case, with your pen, uh, with any kind of communication. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his lips... You watch what comes out of your mouth. Whoever guards his lips guards his life. But he who speaks rashly, bluntly, quickly leads to destruction. James chapter 3 says that the tongue is the most unruly of all the members of the body... Um, it, is, uh, it has the power to bless and the power to curse. To put on a nice light beam from God or to really evoke other yucky stuff. So you've got to be aware of how powerful it is. James says this, that the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. James chapter 3. The tongue is like a rudder of a ship. It steers the course of a person's life. Pay attention to what you say and how you say it. The Bible has a lot to teach about our use of language. It's one of the most, if not the most important, physical thing that we do. Secondly, and this is an application of the first principle, it's this. Critical words, confrontational words or instructional words must be surrounded by, enveloped by, words that communicate love. Words of comfort, words of affirmation, words of encouragement, words of hope. Proverbs 16.21 says this, The wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words... Uh, or kind and affirming words, promote instruction. The point is this. If you want to instruct somebody, teach somebody, change somebody, you've got to know that the, how you say it is as important as what you say, and it's got to be couched with words of affirmation and encouragement. It promotes instruction. You take the instruction without the affirming words, and what you're going to get, more likely than not, is it at least doesn't, it's not conducive to instruction. It may actually bring about destruction. Proverbs 16.24 says this, Pleasant words, that is kind and affirming words, are a honeycomb. They are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. What the author is saying here is that these words, they taste good and they're good for you. If you want to strengthen somebody, you want to build them up, you've got to use affirming, kind and pleasant words. Now, here's why we need this. Here's the application of this. We need it badly. We live in a time where a number of commentators have noticed this, in the last two decades in particular. The bottom line standards of decency have gone in terms of how we treat one another. Courtesy has just disappeared, and especially courtesy with words. People in our day and age think that they have a right, you take this freedom of speech this way, we have a right to say whatever we want to say, however we want to say it, to whoever we want to say it. That's my right. And so we say wounding, rude, harsh, belligerent things to one another and hurt one another. And even in the body of Christ, this gets sanctioned. It gets sanctioned as uh, this way. Well, I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just being honest. Aren't we supposed to be honest? I thought God said to be honest. Didn't God say to be honest? God said to speak the truth. I'm just speaking the truth. You look ugly. You can't preach with a lick. Man, do you sing bad? Uh, you know, or whatever comes out of our mouth. And we justify it like, well, we just got to be honest with one another. Now, the Bible does say, speak truth to one another. But read carefully here. Ephesians 4.25 says, speak the truth to one another in love. In love. In other words, if you can't surround what you're saying in love, it doesn't matter that you're saying it truthfully. Shut up. If love isn't the motivation, quiet should be the means. Amen. And that goes for whether you're talking to a person or about a person. If it's not motivated by love, if you've got unresolved stuff there, before you say anything, you need to stop, take a break, get in your prayer closet, and take care of your issue because it's your issue, not theirs. Whatever you say, speak the truth, yes, but speak it in love. Truth without love uh, is wounding. Love without truth is is just uh, placating or enabling. You need the two together. Now, there's nothing wrong with speaking the truth. There's nothing wrong with critical comments. There's nothing wrong with constructive criticism, ironing, sharpening, iron, disagreements, debate, and whatever. That's all fine. But it all becomes used of the enemy if it's not couched in, surrounded by, saturated with a motivation of love. And that love's got to be communicated. Speak the truth to one another in love. Paul says that love is not. Love is is patient. Love is kind. Love is never rude. Love is not angered. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, love protects. It protects the worth of the person, the value of the person. It doesn't tear down. Love, hopes all things. Love speaks hope. Now, here's the thing: we all, and all, we all have, have people with whom we are in conflict. That's part of life. You know, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to, you know, whatever. That's part of life. That's not a bad thing. How you handle it is is what makes it good or bad. You got to know this. Our job like Paul here, is to communicate love. You can't just... A lot of times we, we, we love a person, but we don't communicate it. All we communicate is our, is our disagreement or our criticism. We assume that they know that we love them, and, and so we just speak the words of criticism. I know from experience that the people who are most likely to say anything are those who, have some, who, who see something wrong. You know, so what you hear is a lot of criticism. We do that with our spouses, we do it with our kids, we do it with our friends, we do it with our neighbors. Wrong assumption. You've got to know that you, you have to communicate love and the way you communicate love is by words that affirm, words that, that notice things to affirm, words that encourage, words that are hopeful, words that ascribe worth to a person. Okay, The two have got to go together. When we don't take care to do that... What we find happening is that most of our conversation is conflict. And what gets communicated is uh, that uh, if you would just do things differently, if you just change in this way or that way, then you'd be worthwhile, then you'd have something, then I would affirm you because now you'd meet my expectations. But that's not love. That's a conditional kind of love. Love ascribes worth and value first and on the basis of that love predicated on that love now you say because i love you because you have worth because you're a great kid i want you to act like a great kid you know instead of saying if you just act this way i'd think you're a great kid that's the difference that i'm talking about love has got to come first when that's not there we end up just with ragging on people it's really that way with with kids isn't it uh, parents i want to name men here uh, you know you got teenagers there's always so much to talk about isn't there so many things to criticize and and if you don't take time to, to go out of your way to affirm and speak words of worth and words of encouragement and words of hope, you end up all you end up doing is, is, is constantly criticizing. Here's a here's, here's a little sample. Stop eating like that. No more swearing. Will you just be a little respectful? No, you can't get your nose pierced. No, you can't stay out late tonight. No, you can't go to that movie. No, you can't hang around with that kid. Will you tuck in your shirt? You look like a slut. When was the last time you took a shower? Turn off the TV. How many times do I have to tell you to turn off the TV? Turn off the lights. How many times do I have to tell you to turn off the lights? Put the toilet seat down. Three in the morning, you hear a scream. Oh, who didn't put the toilet seat down? How many times do I got to tell you? Watch where you're going. How could you say something like that? You flunked Jim? How could you flunk Jim? You're dating who? How could you date them? What was the last time you prayed? Why can't you pray like other Christian kids pray? What was the last time you read the Bible? Why can't you read your Bible like other Christian kids read their Bible? Why can't you go to youth group? Why can't you know, like other kids go to youth group? You know, come on, you know, get out of bed, you're gonna be late for school again, clean up your room, will you make your bed? Will you feed the cat? Will you enter the cat box? Can you wash your face? Will you please get a haircut? Stop smoking, no more swearing, on and on and on and that's one day. I mean that's just One day, every day in the life of a teenager. Now the thing is this: all these things are probably things that need to be confronted. You need to confront this. But the question is this: what gets communicated? Is where's the love in this? Now it's got to be communicated on the basis of love, and you can't assume it. There needs to be the affirmation. We are not to communicate if you meet my expectations, I'll love you. But because I love you, I want to put out these expectations. With our spouses, with our friends, with our neighbors, speak words of love and encouragement. Love's got to be communicated. And it's only communicated when we speak sweetness and words that heal the soul. Words that are kind. Think of it this way. This is how God talks to us. God doesn't give us a rule book and say, meet these expectations and I'll love you. God says, I love you. Therefore, here's some expectations. Because you're holy, live holy. Because I fill you with love, live lovingly. Etc. Etc. He doesn't make the doing the prerequisite for the being. He gives us the being, and then and then tells us to do the doing. This is how Paul treats the Corinthians. He's got a lot of issues. He speaks affirming words. He finds reasons to affirm them, and then comes the criticism. Okay, but it's done in the context of love. And so it is with one another. How we, how we speak to one another is extremely important. Loving words have got to come first in the middle and at the end. Let me end with just a little practical tip here. Think of it like this way. In all your relationships, think of affirming words, kind words, encouraging words, and hopeful words. Or deeds. In fact, even more so deeds, but the main thing is that it's communicated as pennies put into a bank. You're putting in pennies in a bank. And think of confrontational things, critical things, as at least nickels, if not quarters, that you take out of that bank. And know that the job of your relationship is at least to keep it even balanced. Okay? You can never take out what you haven't put in. When we withdraw more than we put in, that's what causes bitterness. Paul says, "Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath." I think that's you cause bitterness. You break their spirit uh, because there has not been that investment. Be putting money into the bank, uh, especially parents of teenagers. You gotta be investing all the time because there are times where you really gotta withdraw, and you can't withdraw in a healthy way that heals the soul unless you put in a lot of that affirmation there. Um, maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning. And uh, you've you got to mind a person uh, you know that you're ca- having conflict with, and you're saying to yourself, "You know what? I can't think of a thing to affirm. uh what can I affirm you know what 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 positive thing is there? Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's a friend or an ex-friend or an ex-husband or whatever. You think, I can't think of a thing to affirm there now I, I want you to know this if, if if that is the case and oftentimes we get like that, know that that says more about you than it does about the person you're thinking about. Uh, you're locked in a negativity grip. You, you got pollution. You got my pollution going on. And the way to get rid of that is to go back to the first point of this sermon: pray a blessing on them. Pray a blessing on them. Okay. You start turning that laser beam of God's love on their life. You don't feel like it now. You don't want to do this, do you? No, no. You want to do what the disciples did. You want to call down fire? No. Call down the love beam. All right. And, and, and start and start praying for them. You know. And you know what? Hey. Praise God. Uh, uh, you'll find that your perspective on them changes. Your perspective You'll notice things. Now, you've got to look. You've got to look for reasons to affirm people. But be looking for them, especially with your kids and your spouse. Look for ways to compliment them, to affirm them, to build them up. Uh, the, the, the critical thing is you don't have to look for it. They'll come at you. you know, no problem there. But be looking with the lenses of God's love uh, for reasons to affirm one another, whether it's spouse, kids, or, or, or brothers and sisters in Christ. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. Pray blessing, speak love. And the kingdom of God goes forward. Let's stand and close in prayer. As the prayer team comes forward, let me extend two invitations here. Number one, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you'd like to become a believer or you're interested in knowing what that's about, I invite you to come forward. And the people here would be glad to talk to you about what's involved in, in becoming a, a Christian and getting saved. Number two, maybe you're here this morning and you've got a relationship issue. Uh, maybe you are finding it impossible to pray this blessing prayer on a certain person in your life. Uh, you're locked in the negativity mode. Uh, don't leave here with that stronghold in your life. Uh, let the people here pray with you, uh, to get out, to, to let the power of God rid you of that thing. So you can go out of here and be a kingdom person. So Father in heaven, I right now play, play, pray blessing. On the people of Woodland Hills Church, Lord. I see a beam of your love just on us right now. Praise God. It is doing kingdom work. It is purging us of envy and strife and backbiting tendencies. Lord God, I pray your blessing on us as we go out of here, Lord God. I pray that we would reek with Jesus Christ. That the world would smell you on us. Praise God. That our, that we'd be a sweet smelling savor, Lord, to anyone who has a heart, uh, to believe in you, Lord God. That they would see you in us, in our words and in our, in our mannerisms. Holy Spirit, I ask that You would, as we go out of this place, remind us, as we're going to McDonald's or, or Perkins or going home, uh, as we're driving, remind us to be to be praying blessing prayers for the people all around us, the waitress, uh, the cook, uh, the, the person who butted in front of us in line, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to remember to pray blessing on them and to speak loving words at all times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go out and be in the kingdom. The altar is open. Amen.